studies for the last couple of years. And he is a gifted preacher and a caring and thoughtful servant of God. And he married my cousin, so I have to say good things about him. Um, he's from Colombia, and then he's, after marrying my cousin, he came to Boise, they came to Boise to pursue training for ministry with us in the Cole Center for Biblical Studies. And um, he is going to be a dad soon, so he's a good one for Father's Day. Um, they're doing September? Yes, September. I forget the date, but that's my job. Um, not only is our non-preaching this morning, but we also had our Cole Center graduation this week. So it seems like a good time for us to say something about the Cole Center for Biblical Studies. And um, thank you. Kids, uh, you are dismissed. Thanks for coming in. <laughs> Thanks for joining us this morning. We love having you in here. Um, that is not what the Cole Center is about, although we like kids in the Cole Center too. But our job in the Cole Center is to equip those who are going to be going out and equipping the rest of us to do the work of ministry. We are about equipping equippers. So some folks who have been through our um, program, Rod Ritchie, Corey Fries, Nicholas Ivins, uh, Jared Kenning, who uh, was here this morning, just some examples of pastors and missionaries who received their training for ministry from the Cole Center. Um, we've also trained many pastors and other leaders, um, including local missions leaders, elders, pastors around Idaho, people who care for underserved communities, people who care for the poor in the valley, um, all kinds of people who serve in their businesses and communities and families. Um, we, uh, the Cole Center is a part of Cole's vision for making disciples. And so um, we have all kinds of courses and internship programs uh, available to you. Right now I'm teaching New Testament Greek, so if you're crazy and would like to come learn Greek, uh, join us this summer. Or um, in September, we'll be having a whole new round of courses. So we'd love to have you join us for one course or 20, um, whatever you'd like to do. Uh, as I mentioned, though, we had a graduation this week on Wednesday night. Um, and we had a nice time celebrating four people who have earned degrees with us. So I'd like to invite uh, Mike Birdsong, Stephanie Schultz, Odo Siahaya, and Donna Taggart um, up this morning, uh, up now. Um, they all graduated with us this week. So Mike and Stephanie and Odo all earned a Diploma of Biblical Studies uh, with us. And then Donna earned the Diploma of Biblical Studies and Women's Ministry. Uh, and I think she's the only person in the world to hold that particular degree. Um, so... She interned with, with Nancy and Laura over the last uh, couple of years. Um, so as you can see, they, we actually give real diploma. I mean, this is a real program. So um, we're very proud of, of these four, and uh, I'm thankful for the, to have had the opportunity to, um, to teach them and work with them over the last uh, some many years. Um, so if you want any more information, you can talk to them, and then if you still have questions, you can come talk to me. Um, finally, a couple of our graduates, Odo and Stephanie, will be reading the scripture passage for us this morning. Odo will be doing the reading in Hebrew, and then Stephanie will be giving you the translation in English. Um, I can't lay any claim to having taught Stephanie English, but um, Odo has been taking Hebrew with us for the last year, and he's just an excellent language student. He knows Greek and Hebrew among 
other languages that Odo knows. Um, so uh, right now I'm going to turn it over to Odo and Stephanie, and they're going to read for you. But thanks, Mike and Donna, as well. Okay, you may uh, remember from 1 Corinthians, what is it, chapter 14 there, how Paul was telling them to, you know, shape up the service. The services were disorganized, a lot of talking back and forth, because people, there were people of different languages in the church, and they couldn't understand each other, they couldn't understand the preachers, so they would yell over to the other side, hey, what is he saying, and so forth. And uh, we'll try to avoid that situation today. And uh, so I'll be speaking in a foreign tongue. And as you know, when you speak in tongues, you have to have an interpreter. So uh, Stephanie will do that for me. Okay, shall we stand as we hear the word of God? Adonai Adonino, Mah Adir, Shimcha, Bakal Haaretz. What that says is, Our Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Vayif Paleo, Yona, El Adonai Alohav, Mime Hadaga. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, Vayomer, kariti mitra li el Adonai vayaneni, mi beten sheol shivati shamata koli. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Vaani amarti nigrashti. Mineged enecha ad hosif vahabit el hechal kadshecha. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Afafuni mayim al nefesh tohom yoseveni suf shafush laroshi. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. Lekitve harim yarati haaretz brichecha vaadi leolam vataal mishchar chaya adonai aloha. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Behithatev Allah nafshi eth Adonai sacharti. Vatavo elecha tfilathi el hechal kadshecha. 
When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Mashamrim haflashav chazdam ya'avazofu. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Ba'ani b'kol toda es b'chala asher nadarti ashalema but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, good morning to all the fathers uh, that are here among us. Happy Father's Day. And uh, I also want to say Happy Father's Day to my father and my brother back in Colombia. They say they're going to listen to this tomorrow, so um, I just wanted to say that. Let's give an applause to all the fathers that are among us. Yeah. We love you uh, guys and, and, and you know I'm excited I'm gonna be a father too soon my little girl is uh, hanging out in my wife's belly right now so <laughs> as you know I was expecting for gifts today but she said uh-uh I know next year right <laughs> so not yet but next year all right speaking of people hanging out in bellies Jonah. <laughs> Last Sunday, we began studying the book of Jonah, the story of an Israelite, a prophet of God to the northern kingdom of Israel. The story of Jonah, who, though a prophet, was fleeing from the presence of God. What a plot, right? I, I don't know what this is not a movie yet. They should make it a movie. A prophet of God that is chosen by God and is fleeing from the presence of God. Last week in chapter 1, we saw that God spoke. God spoke to Jonah and commanded him to go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, Israel's hated enemy. God commanded him to go and prophesy against Nineveh. And Jonah, but Jonah knowing the compassionate and merciful heart of God, and fearing that the Ninevites might repent, runs in the complete opposite direction of Nineveh. He jumps into a boat and flees from the presence of God. But God doesn't give up on Jonah. God pursues him. God spoke to Jonah through his word, but now, like Jackson said last Sunday, he chose to speak to Jonah through the circumstances and God sent this uh, storm over the sea and the boat Jonah was in was about to break but that didn't work Jonah didn't listen to God he, uh, he even fell asleep in the boat then God um, um, uses another way and he, he speaks to him again 
But this time he does it through the people in the boat, through the sailors that were with him in the boat. And they say, what are you doing sleeping? Wake up. Pray to your God. We are praying to our gods. You pray to your God so maybe we can be saved. But that didn't work either. Jonah didn't listen to God. Jonah told them, you know what? It's not any of your gods. It's my God. It's Yahweh. He's the one that is causing this storm. And I'm fleeing from him. And the sailors are like, what? What should we do now? And he says, instead of saying, you know, let's pray to God. Let's, let's call on his name. Instead of that, he says, well, I don't care. Throw him into the sea. Jonah refused to respond to God. And the sailors didn't want to throw him into the sea. They tried not to. But when they had no other option, they did it. And when Jonah was dying in the sea, God, by his grace, appointed, appointed a fish to save Jonah. God spoke. God spoke. God spoke. See, when, when, when God speaks, when, uh, when he speaks to us and we are aware of it, like Jonah was, we have two options. Either we neglect him, ignore him, pay no regard to what he's saying, or we respond. What we're going to see this morning in chapter 2 is that when we respond to God in prayer, we begin to be transformed by God. Not according to what we want, but according to God's own will. But before we dive in in chapter 2, let me pray for us. Um, how many, Father, we thank you because you loved us first. We thank you because you spoke to us first. You initiated this relationship with us uh, first, Father. And we pray this morning, Lord, that you may give us uh, big ears to listen to what you're saying, Lord. Um, God, we pray that this morning your, your word may be um, proclaimed the way you want. And we pray that your name may be glorified. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, God spoke to Jonah, who had been neglecting him. But now, for the first time in the story, we see that Jonah responds. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. This is, this is the first time we see Jonah praying in the story. But by the way he prays, we know that it's not the first time. He didn't say, God, I'm praying and I know you will answer. He said, I pray to you. I called out to your name, past tense, and you answered, past tense. So he's praying for something that already happened. Let's go back a little bit into, in, into the story. When Jonah was in the boat, um, the sailors are telling him, Why are you do, what, what should we do? And he says something like, Well, I don't care if I die. Throw me into the sea. And, and they did. Now imagine this. Best case scenario, Jonah knew how to swim. He guessed... Yeah, have you thought about that? Um, 
he gets thrown into the sea. He's fighting against these huge waves caused by the storm. But pretty quickly they calm down, as the story says. Uh, so he can easily float uh, in the water. But all he sees now is blue. There is no land in sight. He can't distinguish north from the south or east from the west. All he can see now is the sea meeting the sky in the horizon. Oh, and he can see uh, the boat he was in, uh, only that it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller <laughs> as it sails away. The only thing other than God in which he could put his hope was drifting away. Jonah sees no way out. Can you imagine being in that situation? Distress. Out of distress, I called out to the Lord, said Jonah. Do you know what distress is? Distress is uh, mental suffering. In other parts of the Bible, this, this Hebrew word that uh, Odo read uh, for us is, is uh, used to describe uh, the anguish of a people besieged by an army, the terror at the approach of a raping army. So physical pain hasn't yet been inflect, inflicted upon you, but you're already suffering. The suffering is primarily internal. Distress is unrest is anxiety, is panic. In many cases, it's to be scared to death. And Jonah was scared to death. He says, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. Sheol, the underworld, the Hebrew version of Hades, the realm of the dead, to which, by the way, it was believed that one would enter by going through a gate made of bars. Jonah feels he's already dead. His arrogant pride has brought him into this place of unrest. Jonah is in distress. Jonah is experiencing death. But now we see him turning to the Lord. In verse 4 he says, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet, yet, I shall look again upon your holy temple. The holy temple of God in Jerusalem. That's what Jonah was talking about here. The place where for the Israelites, heaven and earth met. The dwelling place of Yahweh on earth, the place where the presence of God was. The presence of God, the very thing Jonah was running from, now he willingly is turning back to it, and all the arrogant pride of Jonah began to be broken. And his pride began to be broken because he didn't agree with God's will. He refused to seek God's presence. He fled from God's presence. But now we see him willingly seeking the presence of God. Now, God has his attention. 
God has spoken, and now Jonah responds. And just by the act of responding to the Lord, just by the act of turning to Him, Jonah begins to be transformed. He had come to an end of himself. Verse 5, it says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep, or abyss, in reference to Sheol, surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains, at the bottom of the seas, where the gates of Sheol were located. And he says that the weeds are found at the bottom of Sheol, are on his head. That's how low he thought he was. That's how dead he felt he was. Verse 6, I went down to the land whose bars, the bars of the gates of Sheol, closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. You brought up my life from the grave. You saved me. Now, we don't really know if Jonah was thankful because he was saved by the fish or because he knew that God's going to take him out of the fish. We don't know. Um, uh, some scholars uh, and theologians support one theory and uh, other scholars and theologians support the other theory, so we don't know. And uh, don't look at me. I don't know. Uh, I'm just in my second year of Cole Center of Biblical Studies, so <laughs> maybe the third year uh, I'll let you know. So we don't know, but this is, this is what I see. I imagine Jonah in the sea. His strength begins to live him. Distress begins to take hold of him. And he begins to sink. Rule number one to be able to float in the water, relax. You cannot relax if you're in distress. And if you relax, you can float. So Jonah begins to sink. And in his distress, Jonah prays to God. He says something like, Lord, you know, I guess I was wrong. I said I want to die. I didn't care, but I don't. I said I don't care about my life, but I actually do. Help me. Save me. Lord, is there anything worse than dying alone in the sea? And all of a sudden, he sees this huge fish coming toward him, and he says, oh yeah, been eaten by a fish. That's worse. <laughs> so Jonah begins to paddle. He begins to do, I don't know, some sort of motion to escape from the fish. But as you know, you cannot outrun a fish in the water. You cannot outswim a fish in the water. That's their thing. So the next thing he knows is the water currents are pulling him. They're dragging him towards the fish's mouth as the fish opens its mouth um, up wide. And realizing that trying to escape is futile, he tenses his body and he covers his head in an attempt to protect himself. He's about to be crushed to pieces by the teeth of the fish. 
and he waits and he waits but it never happens he's swallowed by the fish and he might even uh, he might have even expecting to be burned by the fish's stomach acid but that doesn't happen either he's now in this dark slimy and smelly place and even though his situation hasn't gotten any better all he can think about is that he should have been dead but he was alive it's a miracle of the Lord and Jonah is thankful and then Jonah prays this beautiful prayer he sings this beautiful song he recites this beautiful poem he composes this beautiful psalm when Jonah responds to the grace of God he goes from distress into a jubilant song he begins to be transformed by God see Jonah felt dead but God brought his life up. When we respond to God in prayer, a little bit of a resurrection takes place within ourselves. Because we begin to die to ourselves. We begin to die to our pride, to our sinful ways, and we begin to be born into a new life in the love of God. Jonah's prayer of thanksgiving. It's a beautiful, beautiful prayer. However, there is this one little thing, this one little detail about Jonah's prayer that I must, I must point out, and it's this. Jonah's prayer reveals to us that his heart hasn't completely changed. That's all, nothing else. Other than that, the prayer is flawless, it's perfect. The problem is that we don't come to God to pray beautiful prayers. Nothing wrong with that. But we don't come to God to pray beautiful prayers. Rather, we come to God to be transformed. Even though he has turned back to the Lord, his heart hasn't really changed. See, when we respond to God in prayer, not only does our pride begin to be broken, but the true state of our hearts is revealed. And Jonah's heart is revealed in this prayer. Let's go back to uh, verse 3. He says, For you, O Lord, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves, not the waves of the sea, your waves and your billows passed over me and I go wait what you cast me into the deep Jonah it was your idea remember remember when the sailor said what should we do and you said and I quote Jonah chapter 1 verse 2 12 you said Jonah pick me up and hurl me into the sea then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. It was your idea. 
And he continues in verse 4. He, uh, he says, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. A better translation for this is, I have been driven away from your sight. I have been driven away from your presence. Like suggesting that it was God who had driven him away from his own presence. But Jonah, didn't you jump in a boat to flee from the presence of God? Like he says in, in chapter 1, verse 3, he says that you um, went with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Wasn't it you? Wasn't it your idea? See, Jonah doesn't acknowledge his responsibility for the situation that he's in. Jonah doesn't acknowledge his sin. He doesn't have a repentant heart. He still thinks he's right. See, at the beginning of the story, one might have thought that Jonah's problem with God was um, God's gracious character. One might have thought that Jonah was a self-righteous man who was all about works and merits and who hated the gracious character of God. But now we're at this point of the story and we see that grace is not the problem. He's now rejoicing. He's now receiving grace from God and he's jubilant. He's static. And Jonah is praying this prayer of, of thanksgiving and he's saying, thank you God. Thank you very much. This is awesome. This is great. Now you're doing it right. Grace towards us, Israel, good. Grace toward others, like the Ninevites, bad. Jonah still thinks he's right. Look at the way he, uh, he talks in verses 8 and 9. He says, Those who pay regard to vain idols, those, not me, those, they forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, as opposed to them, I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Those, you know, those like the pagan sailors, those like the Ninevites, with those people, God, I am not concerned. And quite honestly, you shouldn't be either. Jonah thinks God is and is supposed to be all about him. God thinks God is and is supposed to be all about Israel. See, Jonah is a representation of the nation of Israel. The Israelites believed that the Lord's covenant eliminated the slighted possibility that God cared at all for the non-Israelites. Anything that was not from Israel, they thought, God doesn't care, or he shouldn't care. Therefore, Jonah, as an Israelite, believed that God was wrong in showing grace to a foreign nation. But see, God is telling him here, I am for the nations, Jonah. I'm not against the nations. I am for the nation. I am for Israel, and I want Israel to bless the nation. But Jonah still thinks that God is wrong. And at this point, 
when he prays this prayer, Jonah still thinks God is wrong. He hasn't acknowledged his sin. Basically, what Jonah is telling to God is this. I will worship you, O God, as long as you do what I believe is right. I will seek your presence, O God, as long as you do what I want. And you know, we read Jonah's story, and it might be easy for us to say, what a jerk, you know? I mean, he didn't want God to show grace to the Ninevites. But it's easy for us uh, to think that way because we are the Ninevites. We are the other nations that received grace from God. But we can still ask ourselves this question. Are we praising God and seeking His presence as long as He does what we believe is right? Are we telling God, I will worship you, Lord. I will seek your presence as long as you do what I want. Are we saying, I will worship you as long as you give me a spouse before I'm 30? As long as you keep me in good health or ensure the safety and well-being of my family or let me have this job or keep me financially stable or let me live in this country. Lord, I will worship you as long as this loved one doesn't die. Are we saying I will, I will worship you, God, as long as you give me this or do that? For me, you fill in the blank. Are we, like Jonah, putting conditions on our relationship with God? Or are we letting God change our hearts? See, Jonah is returning to God. He is beginning to be changed. But he's far from being the man that God created him to be. He's not perfect. His prayer is beautiful, but it's insufficient. But here is the good news. Even though he prays this insufficient prayer, even though his heart hasn't been completely changed, Look at what happens. Verse 10. And after this insufficient prayer, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. God delivers Jonah. God frees Jonah. God takes Jonah. He doesn't reject him. God receives Jonah's imperfect prayer. He receives Jonah's imperfect heart. We don't have to be perfect in order to come to God. God has already taken care of that. God sent Christ to die for our sins 
so we can be reconciled to him. He doesn't ask for our perfection. He asks for our repenting, which in Hebrew means returning. He wants to return to him. The perfection, he will work on us. When we respond to God, he will work transformation in us. But we need to come to him. We need to open our, our ears to what he's saying. We need to respond. And what we'll see in the upcoming chapters of the story of Jonah is that this transformation process that we enter into when we respond to God in prayer is at times frustrating and often deeply painful. But be encouraged because in Christ we are assured that this momentary affliction we suffer while we're being transformed is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Pray with me. Father, we pray to you and we thank you, Father, because you take us. We pray to you and we thank to you, Lord, because you begin to transform us into your likeness. Thank you, Lord, that it is according to your will and not ours that we are transformed. Lord, we come to you and we uh, ask you to please cause our rebellious and stubborn hearts to come to you in prayer. Lord God, we want to pray all these things in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.